Welcome to the Taking the Lead podcast, where we empower people to be unstoppable. I'm Christina Hepner with my co-hosts, Leslie Hoskins and Timothy Cunio. Timothy, you are on a big trip right now. Tell us about it. Well, we're up here in Wisconsin visiting the puppy raisers up here in Shell Lake, and we've been all over Shell Lake and Spooner. Friday, I did a speech in front of second graders. It was the toughest speech I've ever done. <laughs> I've done speeches in front of uh, lions and other places, but man, them second graders, I was sweating bullets. Yeah. Did you get some crazy questions? Oh, yeah, but uh, yeah, but there were some, a lot of good questions also. I remind them, what do you do when you see a service animal or a guide dog? You you don't pet. You don't ever touch them. And they were all just sucking me up like a sponge, and <laughs> that's what made me nervous. <laughs> but I spoke in front of the DNR uh, Saturday, and then yesterday I spoke at their church, and it's been a great weekend. Glacier's having fun, and the puppy raisers are having a blast to revisit her. That's awesome. So we're going to make this an annual event every year. We're going to come up here and spend four or five days with them. So it's it's great. I love that. That's great. So you have to tell us, though, you sent us a picture of a group of people, and they were all wearing shirts that said Glacier's number one fan. Is that what they said? Yeah. Or biggest fan? That was at the DNR. Oh, my god. The fan club. The fan club. Oh, Glacier's fan club. That's what it was. My wife started crying because she saw their shirts, and it just says Glacier's fan club and they all have a, a black lab on their shirt and it was like six Aww. or seven of them it was so cute so they're following me on the podcast and on instagram so I, glacier's got her own instagram <laughs> so they're following her there so it, it, it's been a blast and it, people are crying up here so it's it's been a great trip that is wonderful all good tears too i hope <laughs> yes, yes it's all good tears how's glacier handling it is her head just getting bigger and bigger and bigger or she's doing okay she's having a blast because they're training another dog so the interactions and so she's having a having a blast it's she's going to her old places that she did her same toys are here so oh. it's been absolutely, she's having a blast. It's just been vacation for her, but reality hits tomorrow. We go back home. So she's got to yeah. start work, so working really hard So did she immediately recognize the puppy raiser? Like just re- went right for him or, cause it's been a few years. Yeah. Well, Mike met her outside and she started sniffing him and she, he goes, does she normally do this? I said, no, she knows who you are. And then Tracy walked up and her tail was going 90 to nothing. So yes, yeah, she knew exactly who they were. And uh, it was great to see her reaction and give them that, hey, you know, those two people are important in her life for that first year. And I like that she remembered them. And so she remembers everything. That is wonderful. I absolutely love watching dogs like reunite with their people. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. Oh, I think it was Finley, one of our canine ambassadors um, who lives with one of our volunteers. And he does a lot of blindfold walks and stuff like this. But anyways, he had his dog Finley in for an event or something. And we we didn't even know it, but Kate, one of um, our guide dog mobility instructors, walked in and Finley just bolted for her, ended up breaking her sunglasses, like knocked him off her face because she was just so excited to see her. And Kate was thrown off by it. Yeah. But it was so funny. Um, And just, you can see that love. I mean, it's been years and they hardly ever interact, but Finley knew instantly when she walked in. Yeah. It's awesome how dogs like know their people. It's yeah. I love that. Very cool. Well, I'm so glad that it's going well, Timothy. I think that's awesome that Glacier has a fan club and that hopefully you can go and visit once a year uh, and maintain that relationship. Very cool. 
Well, we are so excited for today's guest, a mother and daughter duo who are both a part of the Leader Dog family as a client and a puppy raiser. Yes, the mother-daughter duo, Monica and Maya, live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Maya just graduated college and recently finished an internship for a disability nonprofit. She's legally blind and hard of hearing. She got her first leader dog in April of 2021. And Monica recently retired and took on puppy raising as a retirement project to give back to the organization that she saw give Maya so much independence and confidence. She's currently raising her first leader dog, a black lab who is eight months old. Welcome to the podcast, Maya and Monica. Maya, I've got first question to you is going to be, can you tell us about your vision loss and your hearing loss? So I was born with hearing loss. So I was lucky enough to be born at the only hospital in the Twin Cities area where I was born at the time that was doing a newborn hearing screen. So my hearing loss was caught right at birth. um, And I was in hearing aids by four months old. Four months old. Four months old. Yeah. So I've grown up my whole life with hearing loss. It's always been a part of my life. I've always had really phenomenal deaf and hard of hearing teachers and audiologists who have helped me make things work, accommodate things, all that. And then when I was 15, I found out that I also have retinitis pigmentosa and the combination of RP and hearing loss, something called Usher syndrome. So that's the genetic disease I have. So that was obviously quite a bit of a shock. I didn't know I had any vision loss. I always struggled seeing in low light, but I thought it was normal. Nobody can see in the dark, right? So it was definitely a big thing for our family to process and to figure out. For a while, it was definitely something I didn't want to talk about. It took me a while to accept it. Um, Yeah, so since then, I've sort of slowly been losing my um, peripheral vision. So I've had a bit more of a rapid vision loss than was originally anticipated by my doctors. Usher syndrome is something, an RP in general, that it's very hard to predict the progression. So right now, I have about 20 to 30 degrees of usable vision, depending on the lighting. That's so interesting. And I mean, kind of what luck that you were born into a hospital that was starting those hearing screenings. I would have never thought of something like that, but you were able to catch it instantly. And hearing aids at four months, I had no idea that was even possible. So what was that like for you, Monica, when, you know, learning that information and then what kind of equipment or work did you have to do with those hearing aids? We didn't have family history of hearing loss, so it was surprising. And of course, at that young age, we didn't know I mean, they could sort of like tell what level of hearing loss they thought she had as a baby, but we had no indication of whether it would stay stable or get worse. You know, do we need to start with sign language? Did we need to start speaking with, you know, where, where do we, what kind of hearing aids do we get? Do we get digital or analog or just, you know, a thousand and one questions. And, and, and in the scheme of things, she was, you know, sort of the first, kind of the early end of people being identified with hearing loss so young. So um, there was one researcher who was doing some work on people a little bit older that had been identified that early, and she was doing some promising research on how well they did. So, you know, got her into, um, through our school district, early childhood special ed with speech and audiologists from, you know, from, from very, even before you were one and, um, and they were extremely helpful. And we started with sign language when she was a baby, we didn't know it, but we were just learning baby sign. 
And then she got very verbal very quickly and um, and the sign language kind of fell away because she she really enjoyed talking and you know those hearing aids were helping her if we could keep them on her. I was gonna say yeah. that seems difficult. <laughs> yes, especially a four month old. Oh my goodness. We tried headbands, you know, we like everything we could think of. And you know, Facebook wasn't a thing back then, so there weren't groups that you could easily find that were resources for parent groups and such. So um, it was definitely a process. And then at age 15 to, to learn about the vision loss, with, you know, sort of going through all those emotions again, of like what's her future going to be like. At that point, we knew she had done so well in school and was such a good self-advocate and, you know, and she was going to be fine. But it, was, but it was still, you know, just, just such an unknown thing about how things were going to go for her. So you know, scary as a parent with all those unknowns. So. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And Maya, so you, um, at age 15 were diagnosed, did you go through a grieving process or did you start getting services right away? Cause you were still in school at that time. Yeah. So at the time I, I didn't really notice my vision loss. So I was struggling to see at night, but I didn't really know what was quote normal and what was a result of RP. <laughs> So because I was able to move through the world kind of as a sighted person, I continued to do that. And I would say I was in the denial process of grief for a solid three years, maybe four. (laughs) It was definitely definitely a journey. And I think because I didn't see, really funny, see my vision loss, Mm -hmm. um, I I could kind of ignore it. So I think I connected with a teacher for the visually impaired at my IEP meeting, maybe the year after I was diagnosed, but I didn't feel like I needed any services. So we didn't really follow up with her. She was just kind of there to offer what she could help, but I didn't think I needed anything. So I think we first really started connecting with services, maybe my senior year of high school, when we learned about state services for the blind and the resources they can provide for people. So we connected with them, and that's actually where I met the first deafblind person I met. He was um, a man who was my counselor, actually, my voc rehab counselor who had Usher syndrome. And I think meeting him and seeing somebody who was deafblind living this really incredible, fulfilling life was really impactful for me and allowed me to sort of go through that grief process and move forward with it and realize that I would be okay. Wow. Well, Maya, I'm, I'm sure there's people who've got some questions. How do you communicate to your dog? And what are some of the challenges you have? Yeah, so because I am oral, I use spoken English. So I do verbal and uh, visual commands with my guide dog. I think that's how everybody at Leader Dog does. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So, yeah, I do both um, because I, you know, I'm able to use my voice. I don't do much like ASL with my dog or things like that. So we mostly communicate through spoken English and love. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, so I speak with him. I tell him how cute he is. I tell him his commands, all that. Um, But we've definitely had our fair share of challenges, too. You know, I think I was... 20 years old when I got him um and I think I didn't fully know the responsibility I was taking on 
And so it was definitely a bit of an adjustment being like, I have this living creature at my side at all times. And it's not just about me anymore. It's about his needs and what he wants and how I can make him feel comfortable. So it was definitely an adjustment, just kind of learning to be less selfish almost um, and think about somebody else and something else. I think too, the adjustment of just being perceived in the world was really different. I used my cane, I would say maybe like 70% of the time before getting Paul. And I always was very insecure about how people perceived me with my cane. I felt like I was perceived very differently than I was when I didn't have my cane. And then having Paul was sort of, Paul, my guide dog, was sort of my leader dog, was this whole new thing where I was kind of basically became visibly person with disabilities but I don't quote look like a blind person whatever that means so I get a lot of comments about oh are you training him or things like that so (laughs) it was definitely you know our own adjustment to working together but also the adjustment of how I was perceived by society and learning how to handle people coming up to me oh my gosh can I pet your dog you know We hear that all the time, right? When people are out traveling with a cane, clients always are saying, you know, people ignore or they're so scared to interact. They kind of, you know, hold their breath and step to the side and hope that somebody doesn't, you know, brush them with their cane or touch them. And then all of a sudden you're the same person, but you are now traveling with a guide dog and everybody wants to talk to you. They want to know your life story. They want to know about your dog and everything. And that's a pro and a con, right? That can be really overwhelming. But I love your perspective of, you know, not only did you have to kind of figure this out and how you identified and were perceived, but you had to think about now how the public was viewing you, right? Now, all of a sudden, they're asking you if you're the trainer. You don't look blind. Like, all of that is so interesting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's cool to hear other people have experienced that, too. Not just me. Yes, Yes, you're not alone in that, for sure. October is Blindness Awareness Month. And did you know only 10% of people who are blind or visually impaired travel independently with a guide dog or white cane? That means that 90% of people require assistance or don't leave their home. That is a staggering statistic. At Leader Dogs for the Blind, we focus on mobility skills such as white cane training and guide dog training to empower people to travel independently. This training is offered completely free to clients in the US and Canada, including room, board, and airfare. To learn more, head to leaderdog.org. So Maya, how did you find LeaderDog? Have you used services in your state? I guess, how did you hear about LeaderDog? Yeah, so when I was officially diagnosed as being legally blind, which is sort of this arbitrary term that the government uses, (laughs) that's sort of the requirement for most guide dog schools. I started thinking about it a little more seriously I've always loved dogs and I always sort of in my grief process, I think it was like, okay, when I go blind, I'll get a guide dog. So then it'll be okay. Um, And then as I was losing my vision faster, I was like, okay, maybe this is going to happen sooner. And I really started thinking about it. And I started doing some research on different schools. Um, I reached out to two schools that were recommended by my voc rehab counselor. And unfortunately they both denied me because of my hearing loss. Um, They weren't willing to work with me which was very frustrating. Um, I didn't really understand that, why they told me that, how that could happen. 
Um, so I started looking to see if there were any places that were more accepting of deafblind people. And I found Leader Dog and the deafblind specific program, which was super exciting. And then I actually found out that Leader Dog is about a 30 minute drive from my boyfriend's parents' house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, this is just meant to be. And as I started connecting with Leader Dog, um, I was talking to Anna a lot if she's still there. Um, and yep. she was so wonderful, so helpful, talked me through everything, the application materials. Um, and I kind of just knew very early on that that was the right program for me. Well, I'm so glad you found us in that roundabout way. Monica, I got a question for you. What made you decide to become a puppy raiser? Maya's guide dog's name is Paul. And when I saw him come into her life and how much he can help her, just give her confidence moving around. We live in a busy part of Minneapolis and just seeing her navigate the streets with a lot of traffic and people and dogs and everything else around here, he just gave her a lot of confidence to, to navigate through those kinds of environments. And, you know, someone did it for her, for her. Someone raised Paul. He was actually raised in a prison and, um, you know, he's just such a wonderful addition to her life. And then we saw, we follow Leader Dog on social media. And we saw in, I think, January that there was a calling for people needing, or for Leader Dog needing um, puppy raisers. And I had recently retired. My husband's retired as well. And we said, what do you think? Can we, can we do this? And we thought, well, you know, this, this can be our retirement project. You're speaking to Christina's heart here, that social media guy. Yes. Yeah. She's delighted over here. Well, and it was <laughs> so great that when you guys were there on campus getting uh, the puppy that I happened to be on campus that day too. And someone told me and I got to run over and grab video of you guys. And I remember when you guys uh, FaceTimed Maya. Um, and that was cool to even just witness, um, you know, you guys all kind of met the dog at the same time. So Super cool to see. And so now you have the puppy and the dog. Um, so what is it? What was that like first meeting like? Because I'm sure maybe there were some nerves there of like, you know, is the puppy going to distract the dog? That sort of thing. Um, what was that like? So Maya was going to college in Iowa. So we thought we kind of wanted her to be the first person to meet the puppy instead yeah. of our friends or family back here in Minneapolis. So we thought, okay, we'll do a little detour to Iowa on our drive back to Minneapolis so that she can meet the puppy. And um, so we met in the, uh, she brought Paul and then we met in the lobby of the hotel where we were gonna stay. She had Paul off harness. And, um, but of course, Maya, the first thing she did is scoop up the puppy and wanted to, <laughs> and, um, and it was so sweet because Paul wasn't jealous in any way. He was just super excited. They played immediately. Freddie, our puppy was not afraid of this big wow. 60 pound dog at all. Freddie's quite tenacious, so he, he, I think he thinks he's a 60-pound dog, even at 12 pounds. <laughs> and um, so it was, they just had a great first meeting, and then we went over to Maya's apartment, and um, and Paul immediately went to his little toy basket and brought Freddie some toys. Oh. He was just extremely, never jealous, just just really happy to welcome Freddie into the whole <laughs> environment. So, and they get, a, they get along great. They play really, really well together. And so it's really nice for us to have Paul to, to hopefully have some good influence on Freddie. Freddie's a, <laughs> Freddie's a very <laughs> So, and Paul is extremely calm. And, you know, it's Paul's three and a half years old, so it's very different than an eight-month-old. But just Paul's personality, just steady and calm and um, just so reliable. So it's really great for us, for Freddie, to have that environment, have Paul around. 
Well, that's so funny. You think about Maya, you were talking about the role model in your life and meeting that first voc rehab counselor who was deaf blind and seeing like how they were handling life and being incredibly independent and successful. And now little Freddie has the same experience with Paul. It really is interesting. It's kind of all full circle. And what an ultimate way to really give back, you know, to Leader Dog. Monica, I think that's incredible. You saw the impact that Paul was having in your daughter's life and wanted to hopefully do the same for somebody else. So You'll have to keep us up with Freddie so that we can follow along on his journey and see where it goes and, and what ultimately happens. Absolutely. Be happy to. Yeah. And, you know, since you're a first time puppy raiser, was there anything that surprised you initially about puppy raising that you weren't expecting? Yeah. So I think that um, we went into it a little naively. We're just, oh, <laughs> it's a puppy. And we've raised a puppy before, but it had been many years since we had raised a puppy before. And, um, and, and then Paul has been in our life for the, what, his year and a half. Year and a half. And, um, and, you know, three, three years old, very calm. And, and, uh, so I think what surprised us is, um, is just that energy level of like, okay, refocus. This is, you know, we, now we're, we're on a different, we're on a different path here. And, uh, so it, so that surprises it also just how smart they are, you know, how quickly they learn. And if, if you can be consistent, how quickly those things they learn can become such good habits and such good behavior. So, um, so I think those are kind of the things that surprise us the most. That's awesome. I'm curious. What advice would either of you give to somebody? So Maya, thinking about you being diagnosed uh, with ushers at age 15 and kind of realizing now that all of these things are happening, uh, what advice would you give to somebody at 15 who's kind of receiving that information? Yeah, I think everyone's process is so different. Um, I think the advice... I guess I would give to myself almost, or, you know, maybe people in a similar place to me is to seek out other people with Usher syndrome sooner. I think I was fearful of doing that because I almost had this fear of seeing people and being like, oh, that might be me someday. But instead, when I started to see those people, it gave me hope about my future, which I think I needed sooner. So I think connecting with other people with Usher syndrome or who are deafblind, there are some really great organizations out there, um, you know, and even like through Leader Dog, getting to connect with other blind people who may or may not have hearing loss has been really impactful. And just, you know, there's something about being around somebody who you don't have to explain that experience to. They just get it. It's really, really magical. <laughs> I love that. We've been hearing that more and more, like how important role models are or mentors or just people going through the same thing to build this sort of support network, whether that be family, friends, but also just outside sources. I think that's wonderful. Monica, what about you? So at, you know, birth, she was diagnosed with a hearing loss and then kind of all of these other things that happened. What Any advice for, for moms or dads kind of going through? I think connecting with other parents was really helpful to us. And like I said, when she was born, it was harder because we didn't have social media. I mean, mm -hmm. we didn't have connections like we do now. And, um, and as Maya mentioned, there's some uh, different organizations specific to Usher syndrome and we're involved with those organizations. There's a yearly conference that we've been to where we've been able to meet um, other families and parents. And I mean, and now that she's, you know, out of high school, you know, for sure, for younger families dealing with school systems and so, so helpful for people to have 
um, other parents that they can say, okay, this is what my district is telling me. Is this normal? Is what can I ask? How can I advocate? What can I, what can I expect? So it's a little bit different, you know, that now that you're a little bit older, but we can be that resource for some people to the extent that maybe you were a little bit older when you were diagnosed, but um, so making those connections. And the other thing I was just going to mention about Maya making connections with people she, her dog, Paul, came as a home delivery with the trainer. So you get that experience of meeting other clients in that setting where you could kind of go through it with some other people who were experiencing at the same time. So that was maybe a little bit of a disadvantage, but there were other advantages, of course, to having the home delivery For that sure. worked out really well. But um, that would have been an experience, too, to have done that training in person on campus and and, you know, have something to go through it emotionally with as well. Absolutely. That is definitely like one of those pro cons weighing out how you want to receive your guide dog training. There's definitely pros and cons to both avenues, whether it be on campus training or, or in home. Just a reminder too, all of these services are completely free at Leader Dogs for the Blind. I think sometimes we assume people know that and uh, our longtime listeners I'm sure do, but anybody who's just joining, all of these services at Leader Dogs for the Blind are completely free, including room, board, and airfare. Um, and we're really lucky to be able to provide these. And we're so fortunate that we have our deafblind team. As you had mentioned, you know, you were denied by a couple other guide dog organizations. And I'll say each guide dog organization has their, you know, really core strengths that they have. And it's it's a very unique process. But I am so glad that you ended up in the leader dog family. You two are absolutely incredible and doing amazing things. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy we found leader dog. It's everyone's been incredible, so supportive. So phenomenal. And like you said, just the services that you provide for us, it can be really transformative for so many people's lives. And we're so grateful for that. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today, too. Thank thank you. you guys for being here today. It's very interesting. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for listening to the Taking the Lead podcast. I'm Leslie Hoskins with host Timothy Cuno and Christina Hepner. We hope you enjoyed learning about Maya and Monica's experience. Please join us next week as we continue to dive into the world of blindness. Yes, and if you'd like to learn more about applying to our free services at LeaderDog, you can head to LeaderDog.org or call us at 888-777-5332. And don't forget, you can reach us at takingthelead at LeaderDog.org with any questions or ideas. And if you like today's podcast, make sure to hit subscribe and check us out wherever podcasts stream.